0: Back with you, Tower Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're on the road here at Reno's East and uh, excited to be here in East Lansing. Hope you're all doing well. We'll have so many different api- uh, appearances for you. Coming up uh, tomorrow, we'll be at The Graduate in East Lansing and uh, we'll be at Spartan Stadium. Coming up here on Saturday, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbel, the uh, Spartan Coaches shows following us here at, at Reno's East, a man that will be doing the game on FS1. Legendary broadcaster Tim Brando joins us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Tim, thanks for squeezing us in. I know you're headed up to East Lansing. How are you? Thanks for the time.
1: I'm good. I'm already there or here. <laughs> got here <laughs> uh, a little earlier today, and yet you're right. I'm squeezing a lot of different um, – uh, media platforms in today there's a little bit going on in college football and of course the passing of Bob Knight has been just a lot on the docket uh, I did manage to squeeze in my paperwork on my boards and tomorrow we will be visiting with um, all of the coaches with both teams so uh, long but fun day and you know we go back at it this time I actually do an early game and we've been doing so many games on the west coast it's kind of comforting to not have to worry about catching a red-eye back from either, you know, Portland or San Francisco or Seattle or (laughs) uh, Salt Lake City, you know. So uh, it's good to be back in the Big Ten.
0: Well, good to have you, Tim. And we spoke in August, and and you're a a rule guy. You you believe in what he's doing. We'll get there in a minute. I know you're on a a shot clock. Uh, So Bob Knight is what to you. You had a chance to do a lot of his games. You also had a chance to spend time with him.
1: Well, he, he was memorable. The, the one word, memorable. Uh, you know, you're and dynamic and, um, and, and a guy that, um, in a lot of ways, because of where I was in my life and as a broadcaster at that time, in my youth, um, I first came across him in 1981 at the Final Four as a 25-year-old covering LSU. And uh, Dale Brown, who, of course, would later be one of his great rivals, uh, throughout both of their tenures, and you couldn't have two guys that were more polar opposites than those two guys. Uh, Knight won those games, but in a lot of ways, um, you know, Dale. Because of my incredible close relationship with him, uh, I, I became sort of a translator for both of them, you know, because they they were in each other's throats, and I tried to <laughs> I tried to get both of them to to, to you know see you know the other strengths not just their weaknesses but uh, you know they they just were not built the same way at all and uh, I will say this about Bob Knight I, I did see the good the bad and the uh, and the ugly of him but his ugly in a lot of ways the bullying and the um, uh, uh, and the um, belittling of others to try to run over them to some extent uh, was a way to see if if you might be up to uh, graduating to the next level. I think he, he definitely used that to test his players. I think he utilized that in, in most of his relationship. And uh, i got a little bit of a head start on Coach Knight. After that 81 Final Four, I had the good fortune of meeting my idol, Kirk Gowdy, a man who mentored me as a broadcaster, and uh, at the Final Four in 82, and i uh, Kurt and my, uh, our relationship was just incredible. But, but Bob Knight also loved Kurt Gowdy, and that became a common bond because through Kurt Gowdy, Bob Knight got to met, meet his hero, Ted Williams, who was his all-time favorite player, you know, the great hitter with the Boston Red Sox, and they did a few American sportsmen together and whatnot. And I remember Gowdy talking to me as I was with him at the Final Four in 82 and I talked to him a little bit about my experiences watching Coach Knight and being there for that first Final Four that I covered in 81. And he told me, Tim, you know, Bob is a complex man. He's a, if you have the opportunity, and I'm sure you will, to call some of his games one day, remember this. Uh, He will try to run over you. And when he does, and when he meant that, he meant emotionally. Uh, He said, you've got to stand up and, uh, and, and chirp back. Make sure that you you let him know that you will not cower to him. Well, it just so happened in 1986 uh, and 87, I did several of his games. First one was with Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And then in 87, getting ready to do uh, a game in the Big Ten, uh, I had done the Michigan game on a big Monday with Big Vitale, And um, the following week I was doing a game at Bloomington. And uh, the, the very next week, and, and he had apparently overheard something that he felt that I had said on the telecast the prior week that was wrong. He got it secondhand. But he, he uh, at his practice, I was told practice was open. I walked in for the practice, and, he said, and I did not, get the blank out of here, you miserable, no-good blank. Uh, this practice is not open to the likes of you, and you can get your blankety-blank out of here. And I don't, I don't want to see you again until game time. And uh, because of my conversation with Mr. Gowdy, I, I stood up from the press row area where I was sitting, and I said, well, don't worry, you miserable blank. I don't need to see your blanking practice anyway. You run the same blank anyway. No one, No one ever learns anything coming to one of your blanking practices. And I just walked out.
0: I went back to the how'd that, hotel. How'd that go? How'd that go <laughs> after that?
1: <laughs> I went to the hotel. Now, I'm 31 years old at the time, okay? I'm I'm still a burgeoning broadcaster, doing well at ESPN, but still in my in my youth. And um, I was emotional afterwards because I really did feel that he detained me, and I did have to fight back. But in order to do that, I had to summon a lot of inner strength, and I felt like I... In some ways, went to his level by screaming back and whatnot. But I did. I, I did exactly what Kirk told me to do. And I went to uh, the hotel I saw by town. I mean, you know how Dickie V felt about Bob. He just idolized him. He, he guffawed all over him on the air. And he was like, Bob, you the Robert Montgomery Night. He's the all time greatest, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, Dick, I don't want to hear it. Okay. I just went through a moment with him that. Uh, <laughs> I would just as soon like to forget. And he could see I was emotionally upset. I mean, almost mm-hmm. tears, really. Uh, and, and, and Dick said to me, Timmy, Timmy, he's just testing you, okay? You watch. We get to the game. We get to the game tonight. That was at the shoot-around where it happened. We get to the game. He's going to come over. He's going to pat you on the butt. He's going to let you know that everything's okay, that you, you passed the test. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We get to the game. We're doing our on-camera right before the test, and the team in those days had to come right past where we were broadcasting from doing our on-camera, and Bob walked right by me with the program folded in his hands just as he always had it, patted me on the butt, and while Vysel was talking, he put his arm on my left shoulder and squeezed it, and then I turned and looked at him, and he gave me a wink and a, and a thumbs-up as if to say, you passed the test, we're good. And From that moment forward, Bob Knight treated me with nothing but respect. It was incredible. just absolutely incredible. Exactly what Gowdy had told me could possibly happen and did, and what Vital had said to me he was, in fact, doing and would do, he did. So there you have it. And uh, through the years, uh, what I learned in basketball from him, what I learned in some ways about life, because we reminisced a great deal – Especially in his years at Texas Tech. By this time, I'd gone to CBS and been in the business 25 or so years. And Bob had great respect for the success that I've achieved. And uh, he would come on my radio show and tell all kinds of stories, including the ones with Gowdy and the American sportsman trips up the uh, Snake River and, um, you know, fly fishing and all the different things that Kurt would take him to, and especially the ones that included Ted Williams. And, um, you know, he was a very well read man, very intelligent on a lot of different fronts. And um, we actually did talk about his rivalry with, with Coach Brown, who he knew I loved. But he he understood that I wouldn't forgive him for some of the things that he did and said, but he also was unapologetic about the way he was treating other coaches. He would never he would never go to a point where he would he would say, You know what, I shouldn't have done that. That that's the one flaw I think that he could never quite Overcome, and, and it um, it raised its ugly head a few times on him uh, after he and I had become close. Uh, that's just the nature of the man. He, he was very complex in a lot of different ways. And While his temper did get the best of him many times, I will say this to you, he also did an incredible number of great things for people that no one knew about, and he didn't want them to know about. Okay, There was a softer and uh, certainly a charming side to Bob. Uh, that that uh, people he didn't want people to, to see or understand. But, you know, years later, even his his situation with Dostoevsky was another example of that in the 90s after they met in the uh, final four in 92, where they sort of have a, a parting of the ways, which was unfortunate. But it was that inability to ever admit uh, that he was wrong or to apologize and be contrite that that was, I think, his, uh, his greatest flaw. But he was a wonderful man in many other ways. And uh, all of us that got to know him, I think, were better for it. It's
0: Tim Brando with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, remembering the late, great Bob Knight. And, Tim, there's a, a quote from Bob Knight from his return to Assembly Hall in front of the Hoosier faithful where he said, uh, whenever they – I'm, I'm done in this earth. I'm paraphrasing for him here. And uh, and they bury me, bury me upside down so the critics can kiss my ass. And we'll get that in just a second because you had a a take on Michigan and Harbaugh this morning that drew out your fair share of critics on Twitter. We'll get that in just a second, time permitting. But first, I need your thoughts on the matchup tomorrow, 11 a.m., at least locally here in Lincoln, Nebraska and Michigan State. You're going to be on the call. Excuse me, Saturday.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I hope it's not tomorrow because I need I need to talk to these coaches. <laughs> uh, I'm just glad that Nebraska, you know, it's always good to, to, to have a story to tell. And this was a great one to tell for Matt Rule after, a, you know, a very difficult start, you know, losing your first three and then sort of going to some extent under under the radar with games that did not garner as much attention as those early games did against Minnesota, kind of losing the same way they always had under Scott Frost, and then losing the way they did to uh, Deion Sanders in Colorado. Um, after that, he just went back to the business of doing what's necessary to get the program to win. Uh, you know, made sure that the offense became more control-oriented and control the controllables and not worry about the other things. Um the defense has really emerged as one of the outstanding defenses in the Big Ten, and that's that's in keeping with what, what Matt Rule is all about. I mean, he's the, the blueprint for his success at Baylor is what I can see. The early stages of that same blueprint uh, is what's transpiring at Nebraska, and you know, this is you know, with Michigan State, they're just they're, they're treading water, just trying to find a way to win. And anytime you're playing a team like that that's been hurting and gone through all the different things that they've gone through off the field with the Mel Tucker flap, uh, they're a dangerous club. So, but uh, I'm but I, but I I'm not at all surprised with what uh, Matt Rule has done. He's, he's truly uh, one of the outstanding college football coaches in America, and he's going to get uh, big red back to, but well, we already see the black shirts are, are returned. Now, I'll give him a year or two to get some recruits in to go along with the portal activity and, and Nebraska will be in good shape.
0: Tim Brandos with us, Hail Bar City Radio. Uh, Tim and I in East Lansing. Elijah finds his way to East Lansing tomorrow. Tim, I know you got to run. Real quick thought though on on Harbaugh and your reaction yeah. to to the coaches on 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 the call with the commissioner. The commissioner, at least per reports from the athletic, doesn't seem like he wants to do much to 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 Harbaugh <laughs> well, and Michigan right now. Well, why would he? It's not, exactly. not, <laughs> not
1: in purview. I mean, it's not. And, and, and that's the thing that I find really, really uh, uh, how do I put it? Media, media mishandling of college football has been going on for a long time. Uh, they prefer these kinds of stories to cover in November rather than actually covering the sport for what it is. Uh, second most popular sport in America and we're about to get into games in November that people always remember, and what are we talking about? We're talking about this. Uh, why are we doing it? Okay, fine. There's a story there. I get that. Uh, but to take it to the extent that they have here is is borderline absurd. And it's almost now it looks as though it's being pushed by – by. and I hate to say it because I respect these writers. I do. I mean, I, I, I think the world of and, and certainly <laughs> – was in lockstep with my friend Dan Wessel with The Death of the BCS, his, uh, his magnificent book, and I used to have him on all the time because I agreed with with all of his thoughts on the godforsaken BCS. Uh, but Yahoo and its reporters, whether it's him or whether it's uh, Pat Forty or you think of the uh, Ross Dellinger uh, and, and uh, Pete Tamil now of ESPN.com, I mean, it's, it's a recurring theme now, okay, that, well, all the athletic directors and all the coaches are uh, really, uh, you know, they're, they're putting the commissioner of the Big Ten, the new commissioner, on trial. Uh, they they – they, he could be losing some of those guys as, as, as people uh, that uh, he needs support from. Huh? What? He, he doesn't need the athletic, the athletic directors and coaches to be his friend. He served at the pleasure of the president of the university. That's how this works, okay? Mm-hmm. The coaches and the ADs, yeah, they're important, and he wants to have relationships with them, and he needs them to be good. But in this, in this situation, in this scenario, uh, the presidents are who he has to be concerned with. And as long as those presidents have empowered the NCAA, and that's, what the, that's what's going on here. Uh, The NCAA, in my opinion, should have no jurisdiction whatsoever over college football, but does because the president wants to utilize them as this, uh, you know, borderline weak uh, led by a horrible district attorney police force that decides to, whenever it's uh, in their best interest, to enforce some infractions, and then other times they choose not to. College football does need to get away from the NCAA, and I sincerely hope that stories like this help make that happen because we need to govern this sport from within, not with the NCAA's help. The NCAA has had an to grind with college football since it lost the television rights and all the revenue from it way back in 1984. That was a generation ago. I was just breaking into the business at that time. Uh, that's, that's the reality. But in, in the world we live in today, Okay, unless Michigan already had a notice of allegations, which it does not have, unless the NCAA had all the evidence that they deem necessary, which apparently they don't, the notice of allegations, the letter of allegations would have gone out. It has not. The moment those allegations, uh, that the notice of allegations gets to Michigan, when and if that happens, there's a 90-day clock that begins for the school in question to answer from a legal standpoint, the allegations brought by the NCAA infractions and enforcement committees, well, that hasn't even started yet. So nothing's going to be done during this football season, and I dare say be done before the start of next football season. Mm-hmm. So why, why make this your cause celeb, which apparently is what's going on now? I think it's, um, I think it's another level of embarrassment uh, from the standpoint of a, a, a media that has allowed itself to be manipulated through back-channeling of leaks coming from the NCAA because they're too cowardice to come forth themselves and be transparent, or they haven't done enough homework, and they need the homework to be done by these award-winning writers. Hell, just go ahead and hire those guys. Pay them the money because your infractions to the enforcement committee doesn't know how to get the job done, without their help to start with.
0: Tim Brando with us, FS1, Saturday, Nebraska, Michigan State. Tim, that was uh, on point with the NCAA for sure. We will <laughs> we will go ahead. Well, thank
1: you. I appreciate that. I, you know, it's not popular always when you just speak objectively and with context. And, and uh, I used the comparison today of the Cam Newton story in 2010, which was not about spying, but it was about having a player that had been bought and paid for, sold really by his father during a different time. And the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, who was a former judge and in fact, the Bruce Pearl case for the NCAA, everybody thought Mike Slide would come down on Auburn. What did he do? He protected Auburn. He made sure that those coaches kept their mouths shut, didn't meet with anybody, didn't talk with anybody and forged through the NCAA, you know, (laughs) he found some loopholes to make sure that Cam Newton's eligibility would not be questioned. Auburn went on to win a national title during a time in which the Southeastern Conference was growing to dominate the sport, winning seven national championships in eight years with four different schools. So anyone thinking that the commissioner of the Big Ten is going to step in in place of the NCAA to say, oh, this is it, Michigan, you can't compete in the college football playoff, better think again.
0: Tim, we will see you Saturday in the press box. Can't wait for your call, and always love having you on with Hale Varsity. Thanks for a few minutes today.
1: Thank you, fellas. It was my pleasure.
0: Tim Brando with us on Hale Varsity.